Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. In this episode, Bill Wiley Kellerman presents on his book, Celebrants Flame. I'm now going to introduce uh, Bill Wiley Kellerman, a nonviolent community activist, teacher, pastor, parent of two adult daughters, one of whom is Lydia, who we heard from earlier, and the author of six books. Uh, today, he is highlighting uh, the most recent one, um, which is about an elder and the witness of this elder activist. Bill, take it away. Thank you, Leanne. Um, I'm so grateful to be uh, present even from afar uh, and especially uh, under the sponsorship of Luther's Seminary. I actually know the campus pretty well and have preached a number of times in the gorgeous chapel uh, there, uh, annually recruiting for SCOOP, the Seminary Consortium for Urban Pastoral Education, and well, more than a decade ago, maybe two. Um, I've been asked to, to begin with a reading from Celebrant's Flame, uh, Daniel Berrigan in Memory and uh, Reflection, uh, and I'll do that. When Father Daniel Berrigan and his brother Philip, along with A.J. Musty and John Howard Yoder, plus a handful of budding Catholic radicals, gathered in 1964 with Thomas Merton, at Gethsemane Abbey for a retreat concerning the spiritual roots of protest. The intercessions of that meeting, I'm convinced, not only seeded a movement, but fell upon me, summoning my vocation. Four years later, when the Berrigan brothers and, and seven others entered the draft board in Cadenceville, Maryland, removed 1A files of those eligible for sending to the Vietnam War Front, and burned them with homemade napalm, those ashes too would eventually anoint my life and pastoral calling. Daniel turned that action toward liturgy, toward poetry. He edited the transcript of their conviction in federal court into a play of international repute, refused induction into the prison system, and went notoriously underground for four months. Uh, writing and speaking from the most wanted list before being captured by the FBI at, at the Black Island home of his friend, William Stringfellow. When he was released after two years in the federal system, Berrigan came to New York City and taught a course on the apocalypse of St. John when I was a student at Union Seminary. Dan Berrigan came to me, to me not only teacher, mentor and friend. The anti-war and civil rights movements had already left their form on my young politics. I was, to be sure, a seminarian, but I expected to emerge some sort of community organizer with a theological perspective. And frankly, most of what I believed politically was little more than sociology. As providence would have it from my perspective, like an intervention of the word, Dan Berrigan just then walked out of Danbury Prison and into the Upper West Side academic fortress where I was studying. With him came the scent of prison, the 
the smells of the charnel house of napalm and tiger cage tortures were also in the wind. He stood before us and read the news with Jacques Ellul in one hand and the revelation of John in the other, present tense, a fire. Never had I met anyone who took the book with such life and death seriousness, who taught, who thought in its own idiom, who read it from the inside out, who expected to find therein the powers of this world demythologized and exposed, and who took recourse to the scriptures in hopes of imagining the real world, Martin Buber, who thereby resisted the former and bet his life on the latter. I got knocked off my horse, a tidy worldview crumbled. I do not exaggerate, I was struck nearly dumb and wandered the seminary for a time more than a little lost. Garrigan noticed and one day called my name down a long basement hallway. Would I come up for Irish coffee? By and by, did I pray or read the Bible for any reason but a paper assigned? Had I ever seen these books, Merton on the Desert Monks or Dorothy Day on the Long Loneliness? What signposts in the landscape did I follow? I took up the questions like signposts in the landscape and made them my own. I've seen him do this with others since, some virtually in the grip of despair or death. Don't die, he would say, come along, we need you. Don't be a conscious integer in the empire's spiritual body count. He made it seem like, a, like as if resurrection and discipleship were synonyms. And lo and behold, among us at Union, the community of faith and resistance coalesced at the edge of the fortress wall. Berrigan was to us as the angel to John in Revelation, who hands on the little scroll with the admonition, take it and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but like honey in your mouth. In the fortress cafeteria where sippers and samplers might taste, where scripture was easy on the tongue, he urged us to eat the book, swallow it whole, let it rumble with history in our guts. I've organized these reflections around aspects of his identity and vocation. So prisoner, poet, prophet, priest, and so on. All the facets which were more or less always be of Daniel Berrigan. And while they may be distinct in discipline or relationship, they all overlap in a simultaneity. Hence, John Bach includes a letter about Berrigan as a teacher, but the whole episode is set in prison. The section on Dan as prisoner is built around a long poem of his. The chapter on Dan as poet is ultimately about prophetic action. And since his nonviolent action was liturgical, it gets fullest treatment in the chapter on priesthood. Being pastorally present with dying in hospice turns out to be a form of urban contemplation. In such ways and more, these intersections flow in and out of one another in being truly himself. Uh, Berrigan has become hugely influential in the Roman Catholic Church. 
at the time, and I would say 60s, 70s, even certainly in the 80s when he was uh, inventing additional forms of nonviolent action, he was perhaps the most famous and notorious Jesuit in the country. He and, he and his brother were on the cover of Time magazine dragging the church uh, by the collar into the anti-war movement. But in the history of the New York Jesuit prom, uh, province, he's, they don't even mention him. Uh, yet now, under Francis, all of his work really uh, embedded in communities and his writings is bearing fruit. Um, and gospel nonviolence is being embraced really widely in the church. But I also want to say he had an enormous impact on the Protestant community. And I offer this book as one uh, example of that. And the first thing to say is that I did not become a community organizer with a theological perspective. I became a pastor. And I, there are a lot of folks who would actually be stunned that this was the consequence of Dan's influence uh, on me. I also wanted to mention a friend of mine, uh, Dennis Jacobson, uh, a Lutheran pastor who may be known to some who are listening. Uh, likewise, much influenced by Dan, we were part of the common circle in, in New York. Uh, also a pastor and a community organizer uh, in Milwaukee, but also a contemplative, an icon painter. Uh, and I think that's uh, instructive and unusual in the ordinary, ordinarily driven work of community organizing. He has a book called Doing Justice, uh, which includes uh, Merton, Dorothy Day, Dan, as well as Martin Luther King, uh, which is another example of his influence, uh, Dan's influence on uh, Protestant community. And it's also in that connection that I, I, I guess I want to go back to the last paragraph that I read, um, many of us uh, as pastors, and I would say similarly uh, of congregations as well, struggle with integrating uh, diverse aspects of uh, personal and communal vocation. Uh, the classic uh, one is the, would be the tension uh, between the pastoral and the prophetic. And these are uh, distinct, but they end up getting turned into a kind of either or, a choice, a kind of false uh, bifurcation. Uh, and that applies to both clerics and communities. And I would say both writing and reading Dan's life uh, being immersed in it is a way to get a sense of the integration of all these aspects, which he did uh, astonishingly well, uh, having a kind of spiritual integrity and maybe giving us uh, some clues in how to do it. The other thing I'd, I'd want to mention, um, um, at least briefly, uh, is the... There's a chapter on discernment and Dan's influence on uh, a, a particular process of discernment of mind. Uh, and though there are 
instances which can be named uh, and even practices and exercises for individual and personal vocational discernment. My own experience is that uh, the spirit moves best and most freely in community. Uh, the chapter uh, in Celebrant's Flame is a detailed account of uh, pre uh, preparations for uh, a particular resistance action, in this case, that case at a, at a SAC base. Uh, but what I learned in that process and others like it is among the most important lessons for my own life uh, for vocational and congregational community discernment. Um, so, for example, um, not only in the series of retreats that we did in preparation for that action, where we did life sharing and sort of deepened our commitments to one another, uh, but we also made confession to one another, um, and including confessing our fears. And it's from this that I've, I've come to understand that fears kept inside, hidden, suppressed, controlled, often hold us back. And in that sense, they're in the service of the principalities, of the powers uh, that be. But when we confess them, when we bring them into the light, there's a certain uh, freedom that comes with that, an unburdening. And sometimes the very things that we're afraid of are actually the things that we're being called to do. And confessed in the circle, they become, they become rested from the powers and come to be in the service of the, of the Holy Spirit. 